Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal. You are now listening to episode 22 of the Talking Grammar podcast. Thank you for listening, however you are tuning in to this episode. Much appreciated on my part, and I'm going to keep them coming. This week, as I record this on Wednesday, um, this is November 20th, I guess, today. As I record this one today, I did an interview with Ralph Davis. He's the director of operations for the Lobo basketball team. And the reason I chose to interview Ralph for this particular episode is because the Lobos play the New Mexico State Aggies here in Las Cruces on Thursday night. The star of the New Mexico State Aggies. For Lobo fans who are listening to this that don't know, uh, they're about to find out about Trevlin Queen. He is a six foot six guard who played for Ralph Davis at NIMI, and nobody knows Trevlin Queen quite as well as Ralph Davis. Obviously, Chris Jans at New Mexico State, his teammates, those people know him pretty well, but Ralph has a, a very good insight onto the game and the personality of Trevlin Queen. We don't break down as much as too much of the X's and O's about how the Lobos are going to defend him or anything like that. What I wanted to do was to give listeners and, and some of the followers of this podcast a glimpse into a guy who might be a next pro. He was at the back end of a mock draft in the preseason. He is a guy that is leading the Aggies in scoring right now. He's averaging through four games so far this season. He is averaging 16.8 points per game for the Aggies. And the Aggies are banged up right now. Of course, they have a five-game winning streak in the series against the Lobos. Um, A series like this, it just shocks me that anybody, either of the two teams, would ever have a five-game winning streak. And it shocked me. That over a nine-year span, the the Lobos had a 15 and three record against the Aggies not too long ago. So I think these two teams are even enough that most years it should be a split in the series. This year the Aggies are a little banged up, but they've had the Lobos number. So Thursday night should be a good one. I think Lobo fans who do not yet know Trevlin Queen's name, they're going to know come Thursday because he will be the focus of the Lobos' defensive game plan. And there's been a different Aggie show up in this game for, for the past five wins it, pretty much each time. Last year, A.J. Harris went off for a career-high 31 points against the Lobos in the pit and hasn't scored near that since then. He will be out this game. He has a broken finger and is out until December. Another low, or another Aggie starter, rather, will be out as well. So the Lobos should have their chances, not only because this year's team has four players who did not play in last year's um, two rivalry games and they feel confident that they just have a better team this year than they have in in probably four or five seasons not only that but the Aggies are banged up so a shorthanded Aggie squad should give the Lobos a chance that said the Aggies are still favored by four Um, we do talk a little bit or in the after the interview I'm going to talk a little bit of post UTEP on Tuesday night the, the Lobos played their best defensive game and their worst offensive game of the season and the result was a 66 63 UTEP Miners win in the Don Haskins Center. UTEP's a really good team. There's a reason that the Vegas odds makers who, who don't use emotion and don't get caught up in, in all this hype about how good the offense of the of the Lobo roster is and things like that. There's a reason Vegas odd makers had the UTEP Miners favored by two points and they won by three, so it's pretty much spot on. And um, that's what happened. I, I do think that the, the Miners are going to have a heck of a season. I don't think that the Lobos are a bad team because they lost to UTEP. Had the Lobos won and UTEP lost, I wouldn't have thought any less of the UTEP Miners. I think those two teams showed on Tuesday night that they're both going to have the potential for really good seasons this year. I think New Mexico State will still have the same, although right now they've really got to get past these uh, these injury problems and have a you know have some help show up 
for Treble and Queen on the scoring end. Right now, they only have two guys averaging double digits. It's Treble and Queen at 16.8 per game, and Jabari Rice is adding 10 points. They, frankly, need somebody probably to get into maybe a second or third to get into that 12 points a game kind of range, Um, depending on the scoring and possessions of games. I know all those things vary game to game, but the point is I think they need some more consistent scoring help to help Treble and Queen as the season goes on before A.J. Harris gets back, and he's kind of the the place setter of the team. He's the point guard that sets the table for everybody. Treble and Queen is a guy that can create his own shot. He can do a lot of things. He is a potential pro. Like I said, he's he's a guy that showed up in a mock draft in August at the back end of the first round. He is on the, the radar of NBA scouts, and that's why I wanted to talk to Ralph, interviewed him a little bit about his thoughts on Trevelyn's pro potential and also just life at the junior college level, but mostly about Trevelyn Queen because he's a guy I think in this rivalry people need to know about a little bit. So without further ado, let's get to get to it, get to the interview. We will do the post-UTEP and pre-New Mexico State kind of roundup at the back end of this interview, which is about a, a half hour or so. For now, here's my interview with Ralph Davis, the Director of Operations for the local basketball team. All right, man, let's, uh, let's get going here. You're, uh, let's, I do want to talk about Trevor and Queen a little bit. Um, I don't think people probably um, even know the connection. Not a lot of people. You yeah. obviously know the connection. People at NIMI know the connection. But um, <laughs> let's start, though, with, with a quick rundown on your background for people that don't know you and uh, why we're going to then get into talking about a former NIMI player. Um, yeah. So, Ralph, why don't you just tell us kind of your, your basketball background? Absolutely. Um, interesting enough on the NIMI side of it. So I actually played at the Mexico military from 2003 to 2005. So All right. that, that was my first introduction to New Mexico years ago. And you're from? I'm from New York City. Um, spent Part of my youth in uh, North Jersey, Paramus, New Jersey as well, too. So, And then you end up in uh, Roswell, Roswell, New Mexico, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, I played there, finished up playing at Texas A&M Kingsville Division II School in the Lone Star. If you, you, know, if you played or know anything about eastern New Mexico, then you know about the Javelinas as well, too. The Lone Star is <laughs> real. I mean, the Lone Star Conference, that's a good it league. Is. It's a good league right there. So after, after playing there, I GA'd over there for two years, got my master's, and then... Right after that, came right back to the Mexico military, started coaching, was the assistant there for six years, head coach for three, and you know, then now I'm going to my what second year here at UNM. The um the culture shock though from New York to, to Roswell, I mean that that's something that's you know, probably hits different people different ways. Um how did you how did you uh accept uh <laughs> what's a little bit different place than New York? Um it is different. It's different. Obviously, slower. Yep. People are very nice. Weather's very warm. Um, obviously, the UFO culture is definitely different. Uh, a military school as well. That's yeah. different. That's that's very unique. Mm. You went back, so you must like something did. about I, it. I did. Uh, the opportunity to follow my passion, coach the game of basketball. Obviously, I had some familiarity with the area, the school. You know, for those that don't know the league. Um, medicine, Western Junior College Athletic League, probably the best JUCO league in the country. We have Keith, really? we have Keith McGee from South Plains, yep, who yep. I, who I, I coached against him while I was at New Mexico military. Um, national champion. National champion. Yeah, we, we actually got them that year. <laughs> we Did got you really? them, We split with them. One, right. one, obviously, he won the MVP of the title game, but that's one thing. But even I'm trying to think uh, some names. Jay Crowder, 
Jonathan Simmons, uh, Kenrick Williams played at TCU. There are some names that have come through there, for sure. During the nine years I was coaching there, there were about 10 NBA players that played in the league during that span. Um, So it was an extremely talented league. And and like if you go back into the past, Larry Johnson, Bo Outlaw, Craig Elo, uh, a number of Spud Webb, Mookie Blaylock, another of NBA players. Uh, So from that standpoint, just an opportunity to get back into that league, you know, coach junior college basketball. For those that don't know, junior college is a is a grind essentially. It is. Yeah, you have to yeah. do a lot of different things. You have to sometimes drive the van, drive the bus, sweep the floor, coach the game, pick up me. It's you know I'm the director of operations now, and my junior college background it, it's helped me more than I thought it would. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're you're the one setting setting everything <laughs> up. You're I mean, you got to do it all at that level. For sure. For um, sure. How do you? What's the recruiting like? I mean, because Nimi's a, a unique setup where with the military side of it, like are 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 you recruiting the same way another junior college school might be recruiting? We, we are attempting to at least. Okay. Um, obviously, we have a unique uh, set of rules. Sure. That that are you know and and standards that the students are upheld to, and you know from that standpoint, you have to explain that to them. You have to explain to them that you're going to be in uniform. Every day you're there. You're going to have a curfew every day you're there. You're going to be up at 6 a.m. every day you're there. Um, basketball, football, regular student, whatever the case may be. And that's you know, part of the daily regiment yeah. that's required to go to that school. Um, you know, Certain things that other schools get away with, we can't. Uh, and that's what makes the place special to that extent, too. But you're right, you know, to trying to recruit a young man. And even, even when you break it down as best you can, they don't understand until they get there. Right. And, you know, they, they really, you can't, you can't fake it. You can't uh, mimic it or anything like that. They just have to show up and you know, hopefully realize it's for them. And it's not for everybody. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that you guys maybe at the junior college level, so many different circumstances uh-huh. as to why a player is going that route. And it's not always just grades or anything like that, that they didn't qualify. Um, that's just a different path um, for, for different people. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people, assume a junior college player is somebody who didn't qualify for a D1 program. And that's not always true. No, it's not. Um, How many times, just roughly, um, did you have somebody that went that route because they thought it would actually give them a better opportunity to get to maybe a better situation at the D1 level? Um, So, for instance, if you are familiar with, I mean, Coach Paul Weir, he had a young man on his first team. At, uh, or his team at New Mexico State, his first year as head coach, Chancellor Ellis. Yeah. Uh, shooter. Another New York City kid. Well, he played for me at New Mexico Military for one year. He was a qualifier. Um, just most folks thought he was a step slow, but they were probably right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, but, but nonetheless, you know, he had fine grades, was a fine young man, good character, good player, but just needed another opportunity. And came played for us for one year, ended up moving on. Playing for, uh, he hit a ton of threes for you guys, if I remember. He right. did. He did hit about uh, I think 115 to say okay. the number. But um, played for Coach Weir, won obviously a WAC title, um, transferred to Prairie View A&M, won a SWAC title. So okay. it has already been the two NCAA tournaments, and now in his senior year, I think he's he already had 29 against UCF. Yeah, averaging you know over double figures right now. So I mean, just certain circumstances, certain reasons. You never know why people are in junior college. Sure. Unfortunately, because of just public perception everyone thinks that these are just kids that you know for better or worse uh, don't have it figured out there's something that puts them there beyond their own control is what people think but that's not the case all the time correct um let's uh let's fast forward a little bit now to 
um, player that uh, the, the reason I'm talking to you today about this the day before you guys played New Mexico State and um, so people listening when I when I post this later tonight um, no I'm, I'm not going for anything game specific no, no, I'm, not, I'm getting a good scouting report here on uh, on what kind of player he is but uh, but we're not going to delve in too much to the to the specifics about the game tomorrow for sure. but you you know more than than most um, mm-hmm. why was um, well first of all how did Trevor and Queen end up playing for you at Nimi? Well, uh, and Trevor and Queen, just just for those who may not know, um, Lobo fans, you, you will know him pretty soon if you don't already know him. He did not play in this series mm-hmm. last year, um, and we'll we'll get to that why that was as well. But um, Trevor and Queen is a guy who was a senior for the for the New Mexico State Aggies, a six six guard. Um, he's he's popping up uh, at least on the fringe of some NBA yes. um, draft radars. I know there was one that had him late first round did. Um, mm-hmm. in the preseason, so. He's at least in position right now to to be in in the conversation about sure. playing at the highest level next year. So let's go back now. How did he end up playing for you at Nimi? Yeah, so Trev is from Maryland, uh, in between Annapolis and Baltimore. Uh, Glen Burnie. Glen Burnie, yeah. which I couldn't tell you. I couldn't <laughs> tell you what that is, but exactly um, didn't you know, play sporadically in high school, um, often on teams for whatever reason the case may be. Uh, Ended up at uh, the College of Marin in California, the junior college okay. there first. Successful year, oh, 21 and 7. Uh, for whatever reasons, chose not to go back there and was obviously looking for another opportunity. Uh, I heard his name just scrounging through papers, making phone calls and all that. They said, hey, there's this really talented kid out of Maryland, Trevor Queen. Saw some film on him. You know, talked to him a few times, talked to his brother, had some real good conversations, explained to him the opportunities that would be available for him if he decided to come to our school. Uh, now, I'd be lying if I, if I told you that I knew how good he was, yeah. you know, when we signed him. Uh, we thought we had ourselves, you know, a talented kid that could average, you know, 15 points per game, right. win some ball games, might end up. Which is good. Yeah, oh, no, I mean, no, no, for sure. I mean, I, we knew he was good. Yeah. We really did, but we just. You know, we thought he may end up at, uh, I don't know, Stephen F. Austin or something like that. We thought he was that type of talent when we signed him. And he was part of, you know, he was a, a piece, for instance. We, we On that team, we ended up having uh, five guys going to play Division One basketball. Okay. And you know, we, we figured he would, but we just thought initially on the signing he'd be a role player. You know, well, I think that's what, what a lot of people probably perceive him as. is like, okay, I've heard his name. Yeah. He's good. <laughs> But people don't realize the ceiling on this guy is oh, is, is much beyond just a, a whack level player, even at the D1 level. So when he got on campus, first day, open gym, it was evident. And what season was it? This will be two years ago then, this right? two years ago, so would that be 17-18? 17-18 season was your last season at NIMI. Yes. Obviously his last season at NIMI as well. But For sure. Okay. Um, but it was evident. It was evident on day one even with the talent we had in there, that he was special. Um, and I'm talking about within two weeks, you're like, <laughs> like this, this can't be real. Some of the things that he was doing, it can't be real. And, and to be, people understand, he averaged 26 points a game for us. Yeah, I'm pulling up, I'm looking at his numbers <laughs> yeah. right now. Like 26 a game, it's mean, tough to do at any level. It's tough to do at any, exactly. Intramural ball, um, in the backyard with your kids. There's so many shots a game. There's only so yeah. many shots a game. And I mean, it was it was truly evident. It was special. Uh, and to be so, folks understand this. Obviously, he's at New Mexico State now. 
Um, and he started off at, at Western Kentucky prior to that. We'll get to that, I'm sure, in a little bit. But, you know, Texas Tech, Arizona State, Oregon State. See, I mean, you, you could, honestly, I'm just reeling off the first local ones that come to mind yeah. in, in the region. Um, Colorado State, obviously, the Mountain West. I mean, he had, you know, 40 schools in the country after him. Okay. I mean, legit. So it's not as if that he was even, once he got to us, he was still under the radar, like, Within about a month's time, everybody knew who this young man was and what he was capable of. And, and obviously, he chose Western Kentucky over all these schools, which, which still, there's no, in the same class, they signed a McDonald's All-American. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, there's no. For those that don't know the Western Kentucky <laughs> story, like, they're recruiters. They, yeah, they can exactly, recruit. Exactly. So, they can land some players. So, so for those that understand, like, I mean, he, he was, you know, he, he was touted. He is talented. Um, you know, these things, watching them now, you know, you almost feel uh, it, it feels like it's validated. Yeah. That's the right word. Just watching what he's doing right now, um, even watching watching him last year in the WAC tournament. You know that that championship Which game. Is, I mean, I know he started coming on late in the regular <laughs> sure. season, but um, yeah. I mean, it, it was March when he, yeah. he made his name. Exactly, exactly. But but those are the things that myself, uh, my staff at the time, those associated with the school. Um, even those that actually truly recruited him, it was only a matter of time before those things were going to happen, sincerely. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he did some special things in that year. And to be quite honest, like I said, you that year in the league, um, Kelvin Jones, Kip from Hobbs, okay. uh, L.J. Figueroa, who was obviously down the state for a little bit. He's at St. John's He's now. St. John's now. Exactly. Um, Jermaine Haley at West Virginia. Okay. We got Keith McGee. You know, yep, yep. I mean, there, there's a lot of talented guys in that league that year, and I have no issue saying that he was the best player in the league. Okay. <laughs> I have no issue saying that at all. Um, but, yeah, no, no, like just watching him right now, it's it, it's obviously the odd dynamic, just me sure. being here. And, you got a Lobo shirt yeah, on exa- right now. Exactly. Wearing, <laughs> yeah. wearing a Lobo shirt. For sure. And him being at State, um, nonetheless, I'm, I'm – very pleased that I school been performing. Let me ask one more about that season, and then we'll kind of move on to, to the path that got him to New Mexico State. Absolutely. What was he like as a player, um, not just on the court, but, I mean, to coach as a player? Sometimes, there, you know, there's quiet leaders, there's vocal leaders, there's all kinds of different kinds of players. I'm curious, from a personality standpoint, yeah. shed some light on uh, on something about Trevlin that we wouldn't know. Extremely passionate about the game of basketball. Okay. Very passionate. Um, took practice very seriously, you know, didn't take plays off in practice. Won every single practice drill. I mean, he took that stuff more serious than I've seen some time. I mean, every it's, single... That's, that's the stuff that annoys teammates sometimes because, really, like, they want to slack off a little bit. Every, he doesn't let it happen, huh? Every time we went live in any type of two-on-two, one-on-one scenario, he performed to the utmost. Um, when we ran, you know, sprinted at in practice, he ran them. He's the old school type that would get in the gym by himself, no rebounder, no shooting machine, and just self-pass, spin the ball to himself, yeah. shoot, rebound his own shot, do it again. Um, but really, really, honestly, those that know him, he's a he's a fun-loving guy. Really, yeah. I mean, he's not one to you know get a temper or anything like that. He he likes to joke around. He really enjoys having a good time. Who's not like a? I mean, through the years. Uh Lowell fans have seen like a Tony Snell, very introvert, like Kawhi. They yeah. went to high school together. Like he, he's not like that. He, he's open with his teammates. He talks a he lot. Is. Oh yeah, vocal. very much so. Very much so. He he's he interacts with these guys. Okay. He picks them up on the court. Um, 
you know, one of the things that always cracked me up is that, you know, after uh, after Bucky gets fired up, just like most players do. Yep. But I mean, to me, it's like as much as you scored, it's like that's a lot of times get fired up. You know, <laughs> every at every shot, it was it was a flex, it was a glare. I was like, hey man, you scored thirty five points right now. Like, I mean, you're not getting tired of this. You're going to waste a lot of energy if you're getting happy after seventeen buckets a night. Exactly, exactly. But uh, but that was part of how he played and part of you know who he is. Um, like I said, you know, most of the guys that play around him know that he loves to pass the ball too. Okay. Yeah, you know, he's a very talented passer. Um, will give it up in a heartbeat. It's just that when when he has the ball and he shoots it, it's, it's going in a lot. So that's why it feels like he may, you know, take a lot of shots or stuff like that. No, it's just he just makes the shots he takes. Um, but with the guys always enjoy playing with him. They enjoy being around him. Um, even those around, you know, the school. Yeah. You know, the most part, they really enjoyed who he was as a person, and then just. You know everything it took for him to get to this point and and beyond that. What's uh, I guess if you had to come, is there a comp? Is there is there a comparison that you can give um, that people might recognize a name or a player that that he's most like? And I don't want to pigeonhole him into saying he's exactly like this. For but sure. Is there something similar that he might be? Golly, I, I actually used to have some pretty good ones. Uh, and is he wing or is he shooting guard? I, you know, nowadays the way the game is, it's, it's kind of combo primary guard kind of guy, right? Exactly. Like you're kind of, it's like you're either a point guard, a center, and there's everything in between. Yeah. And he's kind of everything in between. He's a two through four. Exactly. He's a two through four. You know, we call him JUCO specials because, like, in junior college basketball, six three to six seven is like the sweet height where like you can play every position and you yeah. try to, you know, kind of like what you see with the the, the better. Golden State Warriors, the small ball stuff where you can switch out on every defender. You can get the ball for him and dribble. Um, you can attack from the elbow, from the top of the key, and all these different things. He kind of fits into that role where, like, he's just a ball player. We call yeah. him, like, he's just a hooper. He's just a, you put him out there, he's going to make plays. Um, as far as the actual game comparison, uh, I'm, I'm trying to – let me think about that. I'll get back yeah. to you by, by the end of the uh, podcast for sure. Um, one more on him playing for you. Did okay. you do the headband? He did. <laughs> he did. He did. And he I don't. Did. I don't know. I, don't even, no, I have no, no idea how he even keeps no, it on his head. No, he did. And it's, it's barely holding on. Yeah. To the top of the crowd. But yeah, he, he did the headband. He, he did do that for sure. I don't. I don't know what the story behind that is, but man, it, it's it, it's not keeping sweat out of no, his face. No, it's, it's not. It's not. I don't know what the functionality of it is. <laughs> um, but it's his thing. No, it is. It, it really is. It, it, he he wears it. it. It gets knocked off. Do you ever give him a hard time about it? No, you know what? Hey, listen. You're putting just, up 26 a game. Hey, 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 you wear your headband takes, however you want. Whatever right? it takes, I said. But, uh, That's yeah, fine. he did wear the headband. That, that was uh, part of the look, for sure. All right, walk us through then. Um, at the junior college level, you, I imagine, have a part in a lot of the, the next steps for guys. Yes. Maybe sometimes they do it themselves. But I imagine the coach has a lot to do with it. Walk us through then. Trevlin Queen from Nimi to New Mexico State because there was a stop in between. Yes, there was. There was. So um, his final two schools, he ended up, so he ended up signing late. So this yep. period that just ended right here, he had signed during this period. His final two, uh, like I said, there were quite a few that came you know, hot and heavy at him early. But his final two were Colorado State okay. and Western Kentucky. So it's interesting, his primary recruiter at Western Kentucky was a guy that People out here should know for a little bit. Mark Shue. Yep. So Shue did a, a wonderful job coming down, creating a relationship with uh, his mother and his father, his brother. 
the kid as well too. I mean, did an absolutely amazing job. Yeah, she, she's a hell of a recruiter. Yeah, he is. He he really is. He, he impressed me on it. And, he, and even still, as he's you know, recruiting him and he signed him, I don't think he knew what he was getting yeah. you know, from a talent standpoint. Yeah. You know, I don't think he truly understood like, you know, you know state goes to tournament last year. You know, Western doesn't. Perhaps I'm not saying it's the case, but perhaps with you know Trev. They go. Goes the other uh, way, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying that's the case, but you just never know sometimes. Sure. Um, so we did an amazing job recruiting him, signed him. I was very excited about going to West Kentucky. Uh, and did. And, 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 and did. And did. So he, he went there in the summertime, was there for some workouts, uh, was there in the fall as well, too. Uh, honestly, the the exact specifics that, that caused him to leave, I, I, I'm not... I'm not Try, you know, quite vague on. I think some, some of it actually had to do um, from a medical standpoint yeah. as well, too. But like I said, nonetheless, I but didn't hear no there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He didn't end up playing there. Um, and also, too, so that puts me to now Mexico State, they were probably number three. Okay. Right? So I say, Colorado, I say West Kentucky, Colorado State, Mexico State. Um, on the Mexico State, uh, you know, David Anwar, um, another modified recruiter. So me and Anwar... When he was at North Texas, there was a young man, uh, Andre Berry, that he recruited. Okay. Unfortunately, the kid ended up going to Universal Rhode Island, had a good career there, won two Atlantic 10 titles. But nonetheless, he stayed close. And when he got to state, he was recruiting Trev. I mean, he was up there every week as well, too, recruiting right. him. So when that time came and you know, it was time for Trev to find another place to you know, finish his career, Mexico State, it just, it just kind of made sense. Okay. Yeah, it, it just kind of made sense. Um, it was something that, you know, while it happened, it happened, you know, last year, obviously. So I was still here, but I encouraged it. I said, you know what? These guys do a good job down here. They'll take care of you. Which is interesting. You're, you're already yeah, yeah, yeah. You're already wearing the cherry yeah, silver yeah, at that it, point. It, it, it's tough to say that, but, you know, you, you always try to do what's best, you know, for the, of course. For the yeah, young yeah. men. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> you know, the the – the most extreme of fans aren't <laughs> yeah. even going to begrudge a, a coach for helping a player get a landing spot. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you want to make sure the guys are taken care of. And, and like I say, just, it felt right. It felt right. You know, looking back at it, I talked to uh, some of my former staff members. It's probably where he should have went in the first place. Yeah. You know, just, it should have went there in the first place. And, and that way, you know, him, Jans Miller, all those guys would have been that much tighter because they would have been able to see him from the start, from the start yeah. all year long and all that. So, kind of worked out. I think even for him, like coming back to a place where he has success, the state of New Mexico, yeah, it it made sense in his mind. It was okay. like it was like you know what, like I was I've already done well out there. I kind of the lay of the land, even though you know Roswell's two and a half away. Yeah. Uh, but still, like, it, it it just worked out. But the logistics of what we're talking about here is he he's. Not even eligible to play until mid semester. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, even then, like, there's some catching up to do. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, and, and it's, which, it's, which is which makes it easy for a guy to kind of sneak up on people when he's not there the whole year, and then the stats start accumulating exactly, by the end. Exactly. So, so when he first landed at state, you know, I had a few conversations with different people and told them, like, listen, like, this kid's going to be a killer. Yeah. <laughs> straight, straight up. And naturally. But without watching a game film, without knowing anything, just Googling this stuff, you're seeing six points here, eight points there. You're thinking, like, this is the guy you're talking about right yeah. here. <laughs> yep. you know? And I'm like, listen, the kid just got there, okay? I mean, 
practice, scheme, rotation, all these things are set. Like, just give him some time. You know, I told him a lot of people, just give him some time. And, and, as, and like, if you look at his numbers progressively throughout the season, as, as, the, as it went on, a few more minutes, a few more opportunities, a few yep. more shots, a few more rebounds, until, like, as, as the season culminated down the stretch here in the WAC tournament, and, and even against Auburn. Um, obviously, some folks will remember him missing a shot, but yeah. you know, the plays leading up to that, to get them to that point, he had a big handed. Um, so that guy at the end of the year is the, is the one I truly recognized and knew he could be. So even the start that he's been on this, this year, year yeah. like it, it's, I, you know, after a summer, I, I had no doubts that he'd be capable of doing some things that he'd been doing. This is the first time he's had a whole year in his system, really, right? I mean, this is this is something that people don't know. This is true, actually. This will be, well, I guess, well, first, you know, New Mexico military, but uh, from start to... How long was he in there with you? So he was there for one year. He, he was there from August. August. All the way through graduation. Okay. He, he was out there. Um, like I said, so he, he actually was with us for the full school year. All right. Um, but he didn't get there. In the summertime, we didn't have any small workouts. Yeah, you're talking. This is the first time you even have the off season. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even I mean, if we get off season, just talking about even last December, just getting yeah. an idea of what uh, Coach Dan's wants down there. Just, just, just knowing that much, having the yeah. same set of teammates right there, um, that, that you could just see the comfort level out there now. You know, you truly can. How often do you stay in touch with him now? Little, little, obviously the maybe not so much this week, but yeah, 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 no, for sure. The like I said the the, the UNM State deal has uh, I won't say put like a I wouldn't dare say any type of a rift between us by no means at all. But but it, it, it but it is but unique, it is what it is right now. Yeah, it like, is what it is what it is right now. Really, it, it is a unique for him to be here at State and me to be at UNM. That makes it a little more difficult just to constantly try to. Encourage and sure. say keep up the good work and all that, sure. um, but Pro- probably more so after the season. For right? sure, for yeah. sure, for sure. And even in the summertime, you know, talk to you know his his brother. His brother was somebody that really helped him getting to the Mexico military, and, and just telling his brother like, hey man, like, I told you I'd keep it up. He's doing a hell of a job. Just keep working, stay yeah. positive with him. Um, you know that side. But like last year, he uh, even though he didn't play last year, he was here. For the state game, okay. um, so like, said, "What's up?" We talked for a little while, embraced and things like that. So I, when I see him tomorrow, it's gonna be love. Um, and like I said, I mean, obviously we want to take care of business this weekend in sure. December. But you know, I, I always hope he. Oh, I hope all young men do well. But excuse me, particularly the ones that you have connections. Exactly, it's just natural. Exactly, it's a natural thing for sure. What's his ceiling? Um, he is on draft board, yeah. at least one that I remember seeing, but sure. he's, he's at least on the radar of people that make uh, NBA decisions. What's, is his ceiling the NBA in your mind? Or um, he's at this point, it's, it's in tougher and tougher for fifth-year, fourth-year guys. Um, he's got to be, what, 21? 22. It's getting tougher and tougher for that age. Um, to make it in the NBA, now it still happens with mm-hmm. a handful of guys, sure. and and he, I I imagine you you certainly hope would be that guy. But um, is the NBA a, a legitimate um, possibility for him? Yes, yes, I, I have no issue saying that it's a possibility. Whether it's the reality, yeah. who knows? But just based off talking to different people, uh, what he's done so far. Um, it's legit. Yeah, he is a legitimate prospect. You know, and I think 
anybody that's seen him play or study game film or seen him live would tell you that he's a legitimate prospect. Like I said, that uh, a lot goes into actually making it, yeah, and, uh, sure. and and then sticking. But you know, if if a year from now he's logged five games in the NBA or he's in the G League or something like that, I wouldn't say they'd be surprised. Okay, you know, to say the least. I mean, and that's as an I I've seen. Obviously, like I talk about when I was at the Mexico military, the number of NBA players that come through there, and he was just as good as any of them. A, any of them. Any of them. Probably the only person that I think that was probably better was Jonathan Simmons, okay. um, who himself had his own windy road to the NBA. You know, but you know the things that he was doing, Jay Crowder wasn't doing. Um, you know, Chris Boucher, who who was at the Mexico Junior College, like he looked like a prospect, but he wasn't. Just he the game. Guy, yeah, he surprised me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, he, he was doing he was doing some things, but like for him to be sticking in the NBA and NBA champion now, like like that wasn't yeah. <laughs> it was nothing that I really thought would be the case. Um so, so like I said, I mean there's I mean there, really there's been a lot of guys um that have an opportunity to coach against and, and see firsthand and then like I said the stuff that and, that he was doing and stuff that he's continuing to do right now. It shows the potential for that. All right. Uh, just real quick answers on some the actual on-the-court stuff. For sure. His jumper. Um, it, does he have a jumper that's NBA-worthy? We'll go, we'll go yeah, kind of some, some actual on-court stuff. His jumper. Tell me something about it. Jumper, I feel like uh, in the new wave of the game, 3D, you know, guys that hit threes and lock up on defense, he has potential for that role. Um, so he can defend. He, he, can, he can defend. He, he can defend. Um you know, he has a sweet shooting stroke. Okay. I think his numbers indicate that as well, too. Sure. Um, yeah, you know, he's always been asked to score a ton. So, naturally, when you're high volume, sometimes your numbers may take a slight yep. dip versus those that can stand in the corner and catch and shoot or just wait for someone to make a play for them. But when you're asking to play off the bounce and then shoot a pull-up, like, yeah, it's going to be – We'll be hit and miss some days, for sure. That's, if anything, that's the one thing, not that he can't – I'm not saying he can't do necessarily, but he's not – he hasn't done as much in his career as being the point guard, right? I mean, he hasn't had to correct, correct, or I mean, to to, to create himself and with the off, like you said, off the bounce. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he he's been, you know, he's a great first step, great instincts to make plays, um, able to score at all three levels. And I know it sounds like a lot of superlatives and all that, but once again, this is someone that's 21 a game as as a freshman. You know, in the California JUCO, 26 a game in the toughest JUCO league in the country, yeah. um, 30 a game in the WAC. Champion, oh, still thirty in the WAC title game. I mean, yep. this guy that that's done, you know. I mean, he's done some things, you know, to prove that he is a scorer. Um, but but like I said, I would say, you know, the one thing when, I, when he was at New Mexico military, and I'm not talking about now or, or how his games progressed when he was in New Mexico military. Probably the the only thing that I thought that I thought was a, a possible weakness was um, his. His advanced ball handling, you know, not not just getting to the rim, things like that, but just like I said, playing as a point guard sure. and things like that. And once again, that may not be his role in the future, yeah. you know. But that, but that at that time, you know, a year and a half, two and years ago, you're looking for something too, though. And we're talking about like yeah. trying to find, yeah, something, trying to find something. If there was a weakness, exactly, in that. yeah, trying to find something at that time. I was like, oh, you know what, he can still, you know, afford to work on that. Uh, um, but you know, and and one thing I will say, and this may sound crazy, but uh, like. But but this athletically, athletically, the stuff that he was doing at New Mexico military, 
Uh, I mean, it, we haven't seen that yet. And yeah. as bouncy as he is right now, and as, as many dunks and and things like that that he's been doing, it was ten times wilder. <laughs> yeah. I showed uh, one of my, I showed Rome a clip the other day of where he comes off a ball screen, shoots a pull up three, misses it, but catches his own put back dunk. <laughs> if you if you could imagine that, like I said, off the, shoots it, misses it, and off the rim, he's in the sky throwing it back in. Like it, it was. <laughs> that's uh, that's good, man. No, no, it was some wild stuff. It was some wild stuff. All right, well, hey, I appreciate the time on this. Um, obviously, local fans who don't already know him are about to find out probably Thursday night a little something more about him, and he'll be in the pit in December. Um, he's a guy that uh, you know, look, he, rivalry aside. Most fans in New Mexico root for for the players at least on yeah. each team. Maybe sure. not the teams as a whole because of rivalry or whatever, but I, I think most basketball fans in New Mexico certainly root for New Mexico and New Mexico State yeah. players um, to have success. This is the next in the line of guys that has a chance to to play at a high level. So I think a lot of local fans will be interested in, in uh, watching and learning more about him as well. And I I appreciate you for kind of shedding some light on it. Absolutely. One more thing, Jeff, yeah. if I may. This is a great example of the level of, you know, basketball on the junior college side there is in the state, you know, not just at the Mexico military, but at New Mexico Junior College. I mean, it's forgotten. I think it's it's forgotten, and these kids are still in the state, um, tucked in the southeast corner. So yeah, there's there's, <laughs> so there's not a lot of media in the, in either area, um, and I think that's part of the the problem. Um, I know we at the Journal don't mm-hmm. circulate in those two areas very much, so so we don't do much coverage. Yeah. The Las Cruces Sun News, we're in Las Cruces now, mm-hmm. they certainly don't cover either of those. So it's hard from a media standpoint. Basketball, yeah. um, coaches know it, but, oh, no, there's, there's, but there's some basketball in this state that people don't realize. There's there's some talent. Like I said, if Lobo fans remember, when uh, I think Coach's first year, they went down to uh, Florida and played TCU, Kenrick Williams. Yep. He, he was a Mexico Junior College Thunderbird, you yep. know, and he's an NBA right now playing for the Pelicans. I mean, there's some yeah. Colin Russo played for Fresno State. He was down in Mexico Junior College. Yep. There, there's some there's some guys tucked away, some really good basketball being played at the junior college level out of here. And I just wanted to shed a little light on that. Colorado State usually get, grabs a guy um, from New Mexico, one yeah. of the two junior colleges every couple of years. Yeah, too. They, they do. They've hit both of you guys up pretty well. Um, t- to be honest, to this point, mm-hmm. and this isn't a reflection mm-hmm. on you because you're – you're in year two here. Um, UNM has not actually hit the junior college ranks in New Mexico a whole lot in traditionally in the past. Yes, for sure. Maybe that's changing now. Sure. Maybe <laughs> you being on staff will, will help change that. Um, I do think it was something that started maybe getting worked out a, a few years ago and maybe sure. heading in the right direction. But for a long time, UNM didn't recruit the two junior colleges in the state very well, and I, I think that's headed in a different direction now. Sure. Like I said, those are doing a great job of it all. Um no, I'm trying to think the last the one the one that sticks out to me is actually and even though he didn't finish his career at UNM, Daniel Santiago. Yeah. That's played, right. in, played in the Mexico military. People know the name. Yeah, yeah, that's saying, for like, sure. Didn't uh you know, didn't fare too well here, but obviously found his way to the NBA. Yeah. So there's a few out there. Yeah. Sounds good, man. Jeff, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. This is, this is great. Appreciate you, man. Thanks. All right, well, there you have it. There is my interview with Ralph Davis, the operations director of the UNM basketball team. Hopefully it gives you a little bit of a different perspective on NMSU star Trevlin Queen than than what's already out there and what's already been reported just by interviewing him and um, Chris Jans, obviously. Who knows a lot about him? Obviously those perspectives are good too, but 
since I am the Lobo beat writer and there is a Lobo basketball connection that has a unique insight to Trevor Lynn Queen and his potential as a pro and just how good of a basketball player he really is. I thought that would be a good interview um, on the eve of the New Mexico State-UNM rivalry renewal Thursday night in Las Cruces. So hope you enjoyed that. A um, couple real small parts of that interview are also in an article that's uh, in Thursday's print edition of the Albuquerque Journal. It's also posted online at abqjournal.com slash sports as well. And most of these podcasts I, I put in the print edition, you know, parts of the interviews as well into the print edition and a story as well. So that's the norm. And you can also go to abqjournal.com slash sports for all our sports coverage, of course. But you can get the uh, archive of the 22 episodes of the podcast and listen to any of the past ones you'd like. I appreciate you guys doing that. I certainly um, hope to continue this podcast and feedback from you guys is greatly appreciated, but not just for the week-to-week ones. I I hope you guys are enjoying some of the past ones as well. So as I said earlier, um, I wanted to do a real quick post-mortem of Tuesday's UTEP win over the Lobos and answer a couple questions you guys sent me on Twitter this afternoon. And a few of you guys sent them publicly, posted them on on Twitter um, for all to see, and a few of you sent me direct messages and I also still get emails from some of you on on a daily basis during the season. I, I think some of you guys um, have kind of worked into your day just sort of talking about Lobo basketball and, and have included me in that conversation just through emails and, and through messaging on, on social media. So I appreciate you guys doing that. I'm going to try and address some of your questions now. I did ask for some. I'm going to mix your questions in with my thoughts in general and from the from the UTEP game, and I'm also going to mix in some sound from Paul Weir from after the game when he did his post-game press conference with media, and it was a packed, uh, packed media room, that's for sure. The El Paso media is jumping on board, entirely on board with uh, this UTEP basketball team, because they're good. Rodney Terry's got a good thing going there, and the media in El Paso is covering that, that minor basketball team like it wasn't doing just a few years ago, and, and things are certainly picking up down there. So so that's good to see. Good basketball in this region is good for all the teams in the region. So I'm going to mix in a few questions here. I have three main points that I'm going to cover, then we're going to call it a day on this podcast. The three points I'm going to touch on based on your questions or based on my thoughts, uh, reaction to the UTEP game, are on Lobo defense, um, Vance Jackson's slow start to the season, and layups. So the easy one to start with is what we all think of as pretty easy in, in the world of basketball, and that's layups. The Lobos don't seem to think so. They, they've they missed a lot of layups, and, and that's not a good thing for a college basketball team, for any basketball team that wants to pride itself on being a great offensive unit. Um, they On Tuesday night at UTEP, they missed in the nine-minute span in the second half. The Lobos missed six layups at the 1351 mark. It was Jaquan Lyle. At 11:27, it was Corey Manicle. At the 7:03 mark, Carlton Bragg missed layup. At the 5:31 mark, J.J. Caldwell missed layup. 5:21 mark, McQuatch Malawatch missed layup. 5:01, Bragg again with a missed layup. Right there alone in that little span, that's six missed layups. You you lose a three-point game to anybody, and you have six missed layups. You just hit two of those uh, out of those six missed ones, and, and the game, the outcome's different. Um, you uh, you couple that with 11 missed free throws, and, and you can't really look back at the at a three-point loss and have to think too long about where you could have uh, changed things to get a different outcome. So the problem with the Lobos is not that they just missed a bunch of layups on Tuesday. This is sort of a theme. If you go back to last season, Carlton Bragg in particular, but the whole team really wasn't very good at the rim. They, they weren't scoring well at the rim. I know Vance Jackson's had some issues getting in, getting at the rim and scoring there. Um, Carlton was 
in his own head with it at, at some points last year, and, and maybe he's still there now. He just is missing bunnies, and, and that's not a good thing. So I asked Weir about his uh, apparent problems, his team's apparent problems with hitting easy layups after the UTEP game, and, and here's what he said. That's the second game in a row, though, that you guys feel you missed a lot of layups and yeah. often had that problem last year, too. Yeah. Is this just a problem with this team? Man. Hit the rim? You know, I watched, the uh, obviously, the New Mexico State-UTEP game, um, and gosh, New Mexico State, um, I think that game would have been much different. They missed a ton of layups in that game, and I remember just watching that game thinking, man, that, that score wasn't as, as, you know, I didn't think the score reflected the quality of shots. New Mexico State got a lot of good shots in that game, just missed a lot around the rim, and I thought we did too, and I think you have to credit UTEP. They got a lot of size around there. They bother shots, and hopefully it has a little bit more to do with them as opposed to some inherent weakness we have that, you know, those aren't going to go down. All right, so uh, let's move on then from the layups to some of the questions. Uh, the layup issues that the Lobos have, obviously, are something that Lobo fans certainly hope doesn't last all season. But anyway, let's move on from those and, and go to some of the questions that you guys had. Uh, you posted a few of you guys sent them to me on Twitter, some direct messages. And like I said, I, I still get some emails from some of you and um, on a daily basis. Keep them coming, and I'll, I'll try and address some of those on the podcast as the season goes on. And so far um, today, I, let's start off with one of the uh, the emails. Well, first of all, I want to preface all this with saying I think the Lobos played their best defensive game of the season on Tuesday night at UTEP against the Miners, even though it was in defeat. They also happened to play their worst offensive game, but that had a lot to do with UTEP's defense. Like I said, these are two good teams, and um, you take you take that for what it's worth. I thought both teams played really Really good defense, including the Lobos. A um, couple breakdowns, obviously, but I thought overall they played really well, holding the Miners to 0 0.904 points per possession, if you want to get real specific, and that's that's pretty good. I, if the Lobos do that all year, they're going to win an awful lot of games, So especially with their offense, which will most nights score, I'm guessing, well over one point per possession. And uh, they didn't on Tuesday, though. They were they were under .9 points per possession. So that was a few. Uh, they did, like I said, a couple of defensive breakdowns. But overall, I think this was their best defensive game. And that's a, a question a lot of you fans had, and readers have been pointing out to me and asking of me is, is their defense. Well, I, I think what they did against Bryson Williams, who I think is going to be an all-conference USA player this year and one of the best post players the Lobos will play all season. He's the former Fresno State Bulldog. I think what the Lobos did against him and against the UTEP big men um, was was what they wanted. Had you told me they were going to get what they wanted defensively um, against UTEP's bigs and, and play overall the defensive game they played, I, I would have thought they would have won. That didn't happen, obviously, but... Your questions are along those lines, along the defensive front. So Thomas Senna, he, he sent me a, a question on Twitter, and he asked, and I'll just read from his tweet, is is it an emphasized defensive strategy of Paul Weir's to often send weak side help? That seems to lead to a lot of open shots and our defenders being off balance. I also got some some direct messages on that, and since they were direct message, I assume that means that people didn't want me to, to use their name or, or – or read them, you know, as part of the podcast. But essentially, what what they what both of them, there were two of them, in fact, uh, what they were asking me about um, the Lobos' defense, kind of boiled down to it always appears as though Lobo defenders are so far out of position that they're chasing down other teams' three point shooters and aren't getting there in time, and and the guards on the opposing teams are knocking down all these shots on the perimeter. Well, 
Um, first of all, I'm going to give you some sound from Paul Weir after Tuesday's game talking about their defense, and then I do have some thoughts on, in general, on the Lobos and their defensive philosophy this year, especially when it comes to defending the three-point shot. Um, I, I think they're, they're they're playing with fire a little bit, but I get where they're coming from, and, and in the long term, I, I think they're going to be okay with it, but anyway, we'll... We'll get to my thoughts, a little more of my thoughts on that in a second. First of all, here's some comments from Paul Weir after Tuesday's game on the Lobos' defense. Did you get what you wanted defensively uh, against Bryson? Yes, uh, I, and I, I felt going into the game we had to stop their bigs. I thought that was something we needed to do, but I did feel as though we were kind of underappreciating their guards. I think their guards are a lot better than they get credit for because everything is about Bryson um, and their bigs in general. They're so good at getting the ball inside, and that was our game plan. We wanted to make sure they were not going to beat us from inside. They were going to have to beat us from the perimeter, and their guards played terrific. I thought Edwards was good. Lathan made a really big shot late. Boom, did he play the whole game? He played the whole game. I uh, thought his defense was good. That 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 kind of that guard play, uh, particularly in the second half, I thought was really good for them. And I think is a very underrated part of their team. All right, so there you go. There's Paul's uh, Paul Weir's comments on the defense Tuesday in particular against Bryson Williams and and the Lobos' general thoughts. I think this season um, about how they're going to defend in the half court, and that has to do with protecting their bigs, at least part of it. Um, they don't, they don't have a whole lot of bigs after Carlton Bragg and Corey Manigault, who has shown he's not the best post defender and can get in foul trouble. And if they get Carlton Bragg and Corey Manigault in foul trouble, they're going to be in trouble. So I do think it's worth pointing out that the general philosophy of the Lobos this year is, is, um, again, they, they played their best defense against UTEP on Tuesday, but you, you kind of saw what it is. It's, it's looking at a way to protect their bigs, and there's give and take in all philosophies in basketball, all schemes. And the the give is, as you go to help the bigs, and, and you're doing a lot of weak side help and, and stuff where you just don't want your bigs to end up in trouble, then the the takeaway from that is the other team's going to get some space on the perimeter. So you pack it in, and you kind of cheat back a little bit. Um, you're given space on the perimeter, but you're also doing that weak side help. So anyway, what, what I'm trying to get at is the Lobos do protect Carlton Bragg and Corey Manigal, um and not get them in foul trouble. They're they're doing, you know, they don't want the dribble penetration from the opposing guards to get in the paint and cause the, the kind of troubles that caused them last year. So in part, you know, that's one just real general um, answer to the questions about their defense. I, I just think that there's going to be a lot of open shots for opposing teams' guards on the perimeter. And, and when they moved that three-point line back, it was with with that in mind that the Lobos decided, you know what, if those percentages go down three or four percentage points, it is now worth it to them to, to pack it in just a little bit and take their chances that the three-point shot is not going to hurt um, is not going to hurt them as much as it would hurt them if they weren't protecting Carlton Bragg and Corey Manigal and, and just sort of helping the bigs down low. So I think they're playing with fire a little bit. A lot of guards have gotten hot against the Lobos, as, as we've seen um, me covering them, fans watching the games. It, it's happened a lot already this early in part of the season. So they're playing with fire a little bit. It, it's something that's going to frustrate some fans, but I do think it's what the purpose and that purpose is to keep their bigs out of foul trouble. So I don't see it changing anytime soon. Let's move on to the last, the last question here, and then we'll wrap up this podcast. And, and this last one kind of combines a couple questions that you guys sent in via Twitter. And um, th- let me start with the first one. The first one is at DJ 33 asked how much or not how much he said, 
And I'm just going to read his tweet here. How do we get McWatchmile watch more shots? 68.8% field goal percentage and 12 points per game on the year, but only 6.4 shots a game. Um, the next two are more Vance Jackson specific. Let me let me address this McQuatch one, then I'll get to the Vance part because they're both along the same lines. They're about how to get players more shots and more opportunities in this offense. McQuatch Malawatch is exact doing exactly what what the Lobos want right now. Is they don't call a single play for the guy, and he is the safety valve in a lot of what they're doing. While they are trying to get other guys going, McQuatch Malawatch is positioned in the spot that um, he he's hitting he's getting getting a lot of open shots, as, as fans have seen. So I think they love what he's doing right now. His effective field goal percentage right now of 80% is ranked 13th in the country, and that's, you know, 13-man rosters on 353 Division One teams. McQuatch Malawatch is right up there at 13th in the country with effective field goal percentage. He's doing what they want him to do. The percentages make it obvious. Like, well, why isn't he shooting more then if he's hitting those kind of shots? The, the answer, I think... And, and he, here's a guy who hasn't had an offensive rating in a game yet below 108. Um, that, that's almost unheard of. He, he's doing tremendous, but he's doing it with a small sample size. I think they are confident that if they start drawing up plays for him, if they start forcing the issue a little bit more than, than they have with McQuatch Malawatch, then those numbers are going to go down significantly. They, they like the efficiency that he is playing with right now, and I don't see his role changing uh, much at all on the offensive end. I, I do think that while other players or when other players struggle, um, the tendency, the natural tendency is to try and say, hey, well, who is doing well for us? And and the numbers are suggesting that McQuatch Malwatch certainly is. But I think they're pretty confident what McQuatch Malwatch is doing right now. He's doing it because of the, the role he has and because it's in moderation and, and he, they're not forcing up a whole lot of shots and uh, forcing him to, to be playing a bigger role. So anyway, long answer short on the watch my watches. I don't think they change a thing and I don't think they need to right now. He's given them a lot and um, I don't think that's changing. Now the Vance Jackson question is a, a much bigger one. Obviously um, a lot of fans are remembering what Vance looked like at the end of last year. Vance knows what he was playing like at the end of last year. I know his family back home is frustrated by this and, and his slow start to the season um, the, the question is how much of this is Paul Weir and, and Lobo coaching staff induce and how much of this is a guy that just isn't playing very well. And it would be silly to, to not take responsibility for both sides to take responsibility a little bit. Um, Vance Jackson isn't without, you know, part of the blame, but the coaching staff isn't without part of the blame either. They've got to find a way to get this guy going, to put him in spots to succeed. He's a very talented mismatch, walking mismatch on the court at six, nine, um, and, and he has to take some ownership of it too, though. He has missed open shots. He has missed shots at the rim. Um, he has not always taken advantage of every opportunity in front of him. So there's a balancing act. I do, though, think that the, the coaching staff needs to make sure to get Vance Jackson involved more. And that's something that a couple of you asked questions about on Twitter. Let, let me get to your questions real quick, and then I'll give you some sound as to uh, how Paul Weir responded to the Vance Jackson question um, after Tuesday night's game. But uh, earlier today, Ray Chavez at Ray C28787 asked, I really like Vance Jackson. That said, he seems to be a non-factor year to date. I saw him play against Eastern New Mexico. He seemed a man amongst boys, yet he didn't show up much in the box score. Based on his year and performance last year, I thought he'd have a huge year this year. Interested in your insight. The next question along those lines, too, is from Jason. He's at Shoeheads23. 
interested in how they are going to get Vance Jackson going or if they feel it's a priority. The, the short answer there, and I kind of already answered some of this, but the short answer is I do think they think it's a priority. Like I, I, I don't think they're going to go out of their way to change what was working through four games offensively when they're averaging 93 points a game, but they know Vance Jackson is a weapon that's going to help them win games. And I, I think it's it would be silly of them. It would be stupid of them not to try and get Vance Jackson going. And again, though, I do think there's some ownership on Vance's part, too. I don't know exactly what he needs to do to assert himself a little more, um, but he he probably, you know, he probably needs to find a way to get going just as much as they really need to go out of their way to try and get Vance going because he is he's a guy that shouldn't have games like Tuesday night at UTEP. He played 22 minutes. He scored four points. He took five shots. Um, he, he better take about at least five shots a game. But he was only one for five in those shots. He he seemed to be hanging out around the perimeter an awful lot. I know UTEP has some bigs inside that um, they were trying to avoid and trying to take care of on the defensive end. And offensively, they, they certainly didn't challenge those bigs down low a whole lot, I didn't think. So um, maybe that was part of it. But there shouldn't be too many games this season when Vance Jackson's at 22 minutes, four points, one for five shooting, doesn't have an assist, doesn't have a rebound, and had two turnovers. So I, I think that is if that's the bottom of Vance Jackson's season, um, that'll be good news for Lobo fans. I think he's about to break out of it at any point, but uh, it's time that the Lobo coaches probably figure out how to get that going too. Paul Weir was asked about this on Tuesday night, and here's what he said. Yeah, uh, again, I think that's part of us. We've got to find a way offensively to get guys in sync, and there's a lot of guys. So it's not just Vance. It's Zane. It's Keith. It's Corey. It's Carlton. Now we've got a lot of different pieces, and um, offensively it makes it a challenge, you know, trying to find a way for us to stay in rhythm and then keeping these guys individually in places where they can kind of play well. And I think that's going to be a challenge. Like I've said many times, we've got to work, we're working on all year long. How can we find a way to get all these guys guys to kind of play well and is it possible to get them all to play well at once um it's a it's a it's a it's a good problem to have in theory but um practically we've 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 got to get better at it all right so there you go uh combined uh, a lengthy interview today with with some covering of some of your questions and some some audio after a game so this this podcast is Kind of probably throwing too much at you for for one podcast, um, but I will get you another one next week, and and hopefully sometime in Brooklyn, maybe I'll I'll get you something out of out of Brooklyn. But there you go. Uh, we are in between the two biggest rivalry games for the, for the Lobos in the non conference, and that is Tuesday night's UTEP loss. And as I record this on Wednesday, we're also looking at a Thursday night game where the Lobos are hoping to end a five-game skid against their in-state rival, New Mexico State Aggies. And obviously the Aggies are are going to be more than happy to to keep that streak alive. So um, hope you enjoy this podcast. Hope you're enjoying all the coverage we're giving you of Lobo basketball, the emptying the notebook columns that I do after every single game, the, the game stories that are in the print edition and online. And when we can, we also try to give you photo galleries and videos and stuff like that, including – um, this podcast and our coverage this year is something that we're we're hoping to keep going to. So if you have some feedback, let me know. I'm on Twitter all the time, at Jeff Grammer. Uh, you can email me. That's ggrammer at abqjournal.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, let me If you have any ideas or any questions about the podcast or you want me to address something, let me know what you're thinking. Let my bosses know what you, uh, what you think about this podcast, and hopefully we'll keep it going. So, again, 
Thanks for tuning in. Episode 22 here of the Talking Grammar podcast. Follow all our coverage on abqjournal.com slash sports. Look forward to touching base with you guys after this New Mexico State UNM game on Thursday night. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.